This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. I seriously love BetterHelp so much. They're one of my favorite sponsors, and I will tell you why I love them so much. When I started this podcast, I was going through a really rough time. I'm talking drug relapse, drug addiction, drug abuse, relationship issues, anxiety, depression. I was going through one of the craziest moves of my life, so therapy really helped me get through a lot of that. And online therapy is, in my opinion, even better than going to a therapist's office because, let's face it, our lives have changed the last year or so, and I just feel like online therapy is the best way to go. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist, and you can start communicating with them in less than 48 hours. They really do match you with, with a therapist so quickly. It takes, in my case, less than 24 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional counseling done securely online. And there's a broad range of expertise available, which might not really be locally available in all areas. The service is available for clients worldwide, and it's super easy to access your account. You can log in, you can send a message to your counselor really at any time you want, and you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions, whatever you prefer. I like to do phone sessions sometimes because sometimes I like to, to go on a walk when I, go on, when I do my therapy sessions. It's really up to you. Traditional therapy can come with kind of a stressful energy attached to it. So I really love how BetterHelp is really controlled by the, the patient. If you want to connect with your therapist and communicate something with them, they have a journal feature, which I absolutely love. This journal feature has the option of sharing your journal entries with your therapist, but if you want to keep them totally uh, private and anonymous towards yourself, you don't have to share them with your therapist. But I really like this feature because for many of us, starting fresh with a new therapist gives us a lot of anxiety and it can trigger us. Um, so if you feel like that, you're not alone. I felt the same exact way because let's face it, a new therapist has to ask questions and try to get on the same page as where their client is. And sometimes rehashing our, our history of trauma and all the details can become kind of exhausting and a little bit annoying. So what I do when I start with a new therapist, like I did on BetterHelp, is I use the journal feature and I wrote kind of a lengthy email explaining to the therapist where what I've been through in the last few years, where I'm at right now, what I'm looking for in therapy, and what kind of therapy I've done, what kind of therapy I'm interested in, and what I'd like um, out of a therapist. So this is super important. If starting with a brand new therapist gives you panic or anxiety or stress, 
This is the most stress-free approach you could possibly do. I love how they matched me with someone with the experience and qualifications that I asked for. I personally asked for a therapist who had some experience with eating disorders, depression, and relationship trauma. Once BetterHelp matched me with my therapist, she messaged me right away and then I scheduled my first session with her for that week. The process is easy, effortless, and stress-free. BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. So if you're going through a hard time right now, and let's face it, so many of us are, whether it's emotional turbulence, depression, anxiety, relationship issues, LGBTQ issues, whatever it is, body image, self-esteem, BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit betterhelp.com vibe. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, and join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Vibe within listeners, you get 10% off of your first month of online counseling at betterhelp.com slash vibe. That's betterhelp.com slash vibe. Betterhelp.com slash vibe. Go start online therapy. DM me on Instagram. Let me know how it's going. And I hope that you get the help, the support, and the healing that you deserve. Welcome to the Vibe Within Podcast. I'm your host, Gab Cohen. Each week, we will connect through stories and conversations about wellness, yoga, addictions, spirituality, mental health, rituals, and everything in between. The goal is to transform our traumas into strengths to create the change we desire in our lives. My mission is to help others by shining awareness on real-life topics so we can learn new ways to heal physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Whatever you are going through in this moment, you are not alone, so let's connect and heal our vibe within. Hey guys, welcome back to the Vibe Within podcast. I'm your host, Gab Cohen, and I hope that you guys are all thriving and riding the emotional waves of chaos because I know that along with quarantine and all of, you know, the uncertainty that comes with it, I feel like I've developed bipolar disorder. (laughs) Um, Not trying to joke around about it, but in all honesty, I do have days where I feel like I'm on top of the world, and then there's days where I feel completely doomed. (laughs) So if you're riding the waves and you're just, you're riding those really, you know, chunky and brutal waves, you're not alone. With that said, along with being quarantined and sitting with ourselves, I know that it can get kind of challenging when it comes to body image and food and 
this episode today is a very, very special episode. It's one of my favorites, um, one of my favorite interviews for sure with Kate Horseman. And I found Kate Horseman when I was listening to the Mark Groves podcast, which is a very famous podcast. I'm sure you've heard of him. Um, he is a relationship coach, uh, therapist. He has a really cool perspective on relationships and codependency and dating. But I heard her on his podcast a, a, a good, good amount of time ago, um, probably like a year ago. And I fell in love with the way that she speaks about eating disorder treatment, disordered eating, body image, body positivity, healing, holistic health, Ayurveda. Uh, She has a very alternative approach to treatment within the eating disorder realm. And it's very refreshing. And it's this episode is... I think it's going to speak to to everyone, not just people with eating disorders, because even if you don't have a quote-unquote eating disorder, there might have been a time in your life that you felt a little bit disordered with your eating or your body image. We all go through phases where, you know, one day we like our body and maybe the next week we hate it and we don't understand why. It's all linked uh, to deeper-seated issues. It's not really... Most of the time with eating disorders, it's not about the weight, and we, we definitely dive into that quite a bit, and how, how eating disorders get a bad rep, and how it, it's looked at and viewed at as a vain and a completely vanity-inspired um, mental illness, but it's, it goes way deeper than that, and she gets very vulnerable and shares her story. Um, she shares... A lot about what kind of work she does and the way that we can view eating disorders in a different way. And then I also talked to her about my autoimmune disorder, uh, my symptoms that I've been dealing with. We, we go pretty deep and this conversation is really informational and it's like a, it's a very healing conversation. Kate has this energy about her that is so comforting and so warm and so accepting that it, I mean, it makes sense that she is a therapist and she's working with um, patients and clients who have eating disorders and who are going through a lot. And her, her take on healing is just, it's so new, new wave. It's not your typical um, treatment kind of thing. And the thing with eating disorders as well as this is what we get into a lot is it's different than your normal addiction to a substance. Um, whether you want to recover or not, you need to nourish your body and it's different than just recovering from uh, drug abuse such as cocaine or heroin when you can just not put that in your body anymore. Food and nourishment are something that you need in order to survive, in order to live. So we get into that as well. And if you're interested in 
getting a hold of Kate or seeing what I mean about her energy, which is just super, super healing, you can check out her website at katehorseman.com. Everything's going to be in the show notes, but she also does online offerings. She does these online groups and courses, and now especially that we are in a social distancing um, new normal type of world she definitely does offer more virtual groups i've been seeing pop up Um, when we recorded this interview it was before quarantine and before coronavirus really hit the states so it was about two and a half months ago maybe three months ago and i thought that the episode um got lost on my computer and then I found it and I was editing it and the sound is it's not the worst um, but it's not the best so you might have to turn up your your volume to hear Kate she has a very softer spoken voice and my volume is just a little bit higher but other than that the audio is great you can hear everything it's just a little bit distorted with the volume on each side but If you're struggling with an eating disorder or just disordered eating or body dysmorphia or just struggling in general with nourishing yourself or over-exercising or anything like that, uh, she has a variety of services from private counseling, um, body image counseling, adolescent care, mental health, and whole food plant-based nutrition. So she also does um, this whole other kind of realm of nutrition and Ayurveda and if you follow her on Instagram she's always posting these really awesome recipes for elixirs and you know healing mushroom adaptogen elixirs with cacao and she's just one of those people who is just so lovely to just follow on Instagram and and this one conversation I had with her really helped me see things in a different way and without shame without guilt without you know all of the other emotions and feelings that come attached to mental illness and recovery it's all about acceptance and self-compassion so she has a lot to offer this conversation is very expansive and you're going to feel good through it especially if you're struggling right now with an eating disorder or Um, anything that has to do with food or body image. um, I recommend having a notebook or a journal by your side or even your phone. You can use your iPhone notes to take notes on your reflections and what comes up during this episode because we talk about a lot of different things. I mean, there's so many perspectives and there's so many... um, topics that come with mental illness and eating disorders and self-image and confidence and childhood trauma and how everything adds up. It's it's very interesting. So I think you're really going to get a lot from this episode. So enjoy this very flowy and grounded conversation that I had with Kate Horseman. And I've been a fan of your work for a very long time. I think I think that when I really started noticing your work a lot was when I heard you on Mark Grove's podcast. Mm-hmm. And that podcast really just opened my mind up to how living with a mental illness or 
eating disorders or whatever addiction you're going through doesn't have to be so cookie cutter when it comes to like how you're getting through it, you know? And, um, I really just wanted to start off with, you know, what's your, what's your background? What's your upbringing? Where, where, what did your childhood kind of look like? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, probably not unlike most of us and maybe you, you would agree with this yourself, but it was complex. Um, and looked looked pretty simple and um, looked pretty cookie cutter, um, and it wasn't. I uh, I grew up in an area of Vancouver called West Vancouver, and um, I was very very active into ballet, and so um, I really excelled at that. And so by the age of you know eight, nine, I was looking at training outside of Vancouver and, um, you know, schools away from home and sort of these programs that focused on learning, learning from the mo- in the morning from like nine to noon and then dancing from one to the rest of the day. Um, home life was, uh, was in some ways very beautiful and in other ways very challenging. Um, my parents were quite unhappy. There was definitely um, some moments of mental illness there, depression, anxiety for certain. Um, and my own that was already showing up, you know, at a very young age. And of course, you know, this is in the 80s. I don't think that we had the vocabulary to identify necessarily mm-hmm. what, um, what that looked like, right? People weren't identifying it as anxiety. I was just like really, really quiet. I was really, really driven, um, and it's sort of the beginning of how some mental health issues uh, manifested for me in the way that I was trying to find some sense of control in my life. So how old? Of- how old were you when you think you, the anxiety started to roll through? Um, you know, I I I think that I can identify the first time um, around the age of nine. Was there anything that happened in that specific time that like maybe triggered the anxiety? Yeah, you know, I don't think that there was something that I could name, right? So I think there was, there was certainly different things that happened and some of them were actually even in my awareness at that point, which I think is important to say, you know, sometimes we have anxiety and trauma and, and, and those are layers that we uncover in time. Um, but I would say that the overarching theme was just that I was feeling a, a loss of control in my life by that point, that um, it really felt like a great strategy um, at that time, not a planned one, of course, but to invest in, in anxiety and, and um, the behaviors that allowed me to feel a little more safe and a little more comfortable in my body. Right. Like that was your, that was your coping, that was your first coping mechanism was, was the anxiety. As weird as that sounds. Absolutely. Yeah. Being quiet or um, being focused or sort of obsessing, you know, um, those, those helped me feel a little bit more uh, tethered to myself, right? Right. Yeah. It's interesting because I don't think that the, we had the language, even when I, I'm a millennial and even when I was growing up with anxiety and depression, I didn't know that that's what that's that's what it was you know what I mean like 
my parents divorced when they were when I was like I think 10 or 11 so that I can I feel like that was the pivotal kind of moment for me and when things started to get get weird <laughs> um but I I definitely resonate with what you said and I'd like to know a little bit more about um the dance and how you think maybe because I've heard you speak about this before about how that could that you know might have been the pivotal thing that contributed to body image issues and disordered eating and and all that yeah um you know it's really interesting because i think i have um like i oscillate in my in my relationship with dance because again at that time it really served me it gave me something to focus and invest all of that um, negative narrative that I had in my brain into something. And that was like, how can I be the best at this? Um, I think it goes without saying that when you are, and I don't know if you've experienced this as well with, with movement or in, in other ways that you identify with yourself, but um, when you have that, that feedback, whether that's a mirror, whether that's a coach, uh, you, you can't help but notice yourself as this physical body and less of an emotional, maybe even etheric body, right? And that certainly was off the grid then. Yeah. But, um, but that, that sense of self really becomes identified with your body and your shapes and your forms. Um, and I think dance for me was a bit of a petri dish. Like I wouldn't say that um, it's what caused my eating disorder but it absolutely is what helped make it thrive, right? I think if I had just been like an average teen in school and I was in these behaviors, it wouldn't have, it would have been more alarming and more action would have been taken probably by myself too. I would have been like, oh, weird. Why do I have these thoughts? Why, why is this happening? But right. in that atmosphere where, um, you know, certainly a certain body image is, is, um, it's, it's normalized yeah it's, it's so normalized yeah. uh, it would make sense that it would thrive right right and you were just doing what you were seeing that was around you I mean I actually do have a dance background as well um, I don't think as long as you but I danced from ages three to I think like 13 or something like that and um, I the more shadow work that I'm doing and the more like reprogramming that I'm doing, the more I realize that that is kind of what shaped my whole body dysmorphic and, you know, self-esteem issues because it was rooted from being surrounded by girls who were taller than me and slimmer than me and really strict ballet teachers who like did not care. This is, you know, in the early 2000s. So none of this body positivity and self-love and all that, like this, that didn't exist. So there was a lot of manually tucking and, you know, like how, mm -hmm. how ballet teachers can be. So that was kind of like, this, this tucking, right? Like, just, I don't know that that's something we talk about. And it's like, Oh, suddenly like you're holding your body in this weird way, but it's so normalized, especially within dance or within movement. And like, you're supposed to be super comfortable and just like, and so that discomfort, like, and then also I, maybe you can, you can resonate with this, the dance kind of, um, as a young dancer, 
I felt like I was always rushed to eat. Like it wasn't like, oh, we're going to like go and sit down and have a meal and you have like 15 minutes between classes and you're going to rush and get food, like whatever, whatever it was. And it, it was just a very like bizarre thing. It's kind of like, um, I don't want to say mini as in size, but like these young little professionals, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I haven't really thought about that for a long time, but it's so true. Um, it's like, okay, quickly have this, have the snack before you do, do the thing. Whereas now we're seeing like, why would you want to do that? You're going to get a stomach ache. You're not going to feel connected to food. You're not going to enjoy it. But that absolutely was not part of the messaging. No, it's a whole different world. And I'm sure that that world still exists, Mm -hmm. but we just (laughs) see it clearly. Um, I'd love to, to ask you personally, if, you know, if this is too personal of a question, but I, um, in my experience with, you know, addiction and I did have substance abuse problems, especially in high school and college, I'm, I'm more living a sober lifestyle now, but, um, what I know a lot of people don't realize that addiction is addiction and eating disorders or mental illness or OCD or, you know, substance abuse, it's all addiction. Can you, can you kind of shine light on that a little bit? Yeah. Um, in my experience personally and, and sort of within, in the field, is that? Yeah. Like how, cause it's really hard to um, explain to people that addiction's addiction and whether it's an eating disorder or substance abuse, it's, it narrows down to the same thing. Yeah, I, I think it does. And I think um, if we were to identify like some of those core, core roots of, of what addiction is, okay, it's pain, it's trauma, right? Someone um, like Gabor Mate, who I'm sure you're familiar I with. I love him, yeah. He's so brilliant, right? Yeah. Addictions, you know, we can call them what we want. Um, I think I referred to them at the beginning, not, not on purpose, but as strategies, right? So I think... Uh, mm, like an exit strategy. Yeah. So, yeah. so our brain is this like wonderful um, and sometimes destructive, but wonderful um, at making these choices for us that are equipped to hopefully make us feel safer and, and more comfortable, certainly. And those oftentimes are those addictions or those thoughts. You know, if someone comes in and they're, they're struggling with OCD and, and an eating disorder, and we start to just work on the eating disorder, well, chances are the OCD thoughts are going to come up, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I think we just have to really familiarize ourselves and, and, and with compassion realize that all of these behaviors, strategies, addictions, whatever they may be, um, are an indication that there is a pain there. And, and, and can we learn to, um, in time, explore what that is and, and, and be there for, for that part of herself that is hurting? Yeah, yeah, because especially, it just, it's interesting because I, I was going to meetings, like meditation recovery meetings, and there's a variety of people that go to them. Like there's obviously like addicts and then there's overeaters and then there's eating disorders of all kinds and whatever but what is so you know difficult to wrap your head around with recovery um is that with substance abuse you just eliminate the substance and you're clean with an eating disorder or any type of disordered eating um that you're trying to like 
make a more healthy lifestyle, whatever, even, even if you're just unhealthy and you just don't want to eat unhealthy anymore, you can't just say, oh, I'm eliminating all unhealthy food because then that's kind of crazy too. So you can't just eliminate food. And that's, I think that's one of the hardest things for me to wrap my head around when it comes to eating disorders is because you have to eat food every day to survive. You can't just say, oh, like I'm one day I'm, I'm done with my eating disorder, you know? Yeah. So I don't know. It's just crazy. I I agree. I mean, I think that's part of what makes it so challenging um, is that we're saying we don't need to have a relationship with it. We actually have to have a relationship with it. It's dysfunctional and we have to have a relationship with it. Um, So it also then makes sense that in some ways it does take a little more time or a little more courage or um, a little more strategy but we can't get there. Right. Um, yeah. I think it is really interesting speaking of create the love podcast on Mark Rose. Um, you know, he often talked about relationships and I think, Oh, this is actually really relevant information for what we're talking about with food. Right. Um, so the idea is, as we know to, um, be in a healthy relationship, we want trust, we want communication, we want honor, et cetera, whatever our lists are. Right. Um, and those are the things that we have to learn to be able to do for ourselves in order to um, get into the work of, of recovery and, and coming home to ourselves. Yeah, yeah, because relationships are everywhere. Like it's the relationship with us, with food, with family. And food is such a root chakra thing oh, yeah. that if it's, it just, you know, everything. I feel like everything is root chakra, but food is, is definitely root chakra. And, um, that actually, I, I wanted to ask you, so that kind of pivots like into relationships, but first I wanted to ask what was like the pivotal moment during your adolescence or how old were you when you were like, you know what, I've had it. I, I need to, I need to heal. I need to, there's, there's something not okay and you're ready to like recover or start recovery or whatever yeah yeah and i think it's important to sort of shine a light because i think it looks so different for everyone mm-hmm. um so there was two two separate moments that i can describe because um for a long period of time uh, i stayed within my disorder like that absolutely felt like where i needed to be and then when i moved into recovery i like was fully in it And I was there until there was a major relapse. But both of those times, like the commonality was that there was, um, there was this idea and maybe this like moment of mindfulness that came in, which was like, if I can get through this moment, I can get through the next, right? The first time I would say it was much more associated to uh, a physical stability. So I think because I was in a state of deprivation for so long, that once I got my body into a healthier place, that knowledge, you know, the doctors always said, ah, when, when you get to a certain point, like your brain kind of just starts doing something different. Um, and I actually remember just having more space for creativity and um, dreams. Like I remember having a dream. And I was like, shit, I haven't had a dream in so long. Right? Wow. And so I think my physical body coming online was a really exciting idea. Um, And then the later part, I think, like 
like there was a moment of mindfulness, but it was also infused with that same possibility, which is, wait a second, like I'm in the deepest despair right now. What stops me from going back there again? I was saying to someone the other day that like resilience isn't just something we have and then we lose it. Like we always have resilience. It's, it's just a matter of coming back to it, right? Mm -hmm. um, and of course I'm simplifying this because um, those dark moments, like those, those moments that I, I sort of waited in, like literally and figuratively, um, to get to the point where I wanted to step into recovery were, were gut-wrenching, right? Yeah, yeah. What, like, if you don't mind sharing, what um, were, what was a rock bottom for you to, to realize that? Like, was there a moment? Was there somebody who said something? Was there, I don't know. It could be different for everybody, but. Yeah, I think, I think it truly was a feeling. And that feeling, um, like, I, I don't know if I can put words to it. Um, I'll always remember it. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was, it was a deep despair. How old were you? Um, so that was probably around 22. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it was a similar feeling when I relapsed in my early thirties. Mm -hmm. So, so obviously there's different phases just like any addiction relapses, you know, a relapse is a relapse, but what's different about relapsing, I guess, with an eating disorder is because I feel like, you know, it's, it's different than just saying, Oh, like I, I, I fucked up, you know, like I, I had one day and I fucked up. It's, it's like a series of events. I feel like it's like a, it's a process. Um, what, when you work with people, are you like, do you see them? Do you see a lot of people who, who have relapsed or who have had like several phases, like maybe in their teens and then their, their twenties or their thirties? Like, it's interesting um, to know a little bit about the different phases maybe and why. Yeah. And I think, uh, again, it's, it's helpful to shine a light on that because I think there is so much shame and guilt in, in uh, these disorders and behaviors that, we think that when we relapse that um, either like that's it, like that's just the way it's going to be or, um, or that we're wrong, right? We're bad for, for, for allowing that to have happened. And I think relapsing is part of recovering, right? Um, that's, not, that's not certainly to suggest that, that we go out and engage in behaviors, but I think those small moments, whether they're thoughts or whether they're actions, allows us to sort of recalibrate and get back to that authentic self, right? So when we're able to uh, notice that, you know, our mind is shifting in a different direction or our behaviors are shift shifting in a different direction, okay, what, what am I going to do with this? Is this going to be like a relapse where I, I act upon it? Or is this going to be a way in which I strengthen my, my recovery? Right. Yeah. Um, it's a really normal part of, of recovery. And I also just think it's so important to say that, um, like that recovery is possible, right? No matter how yeah. many times you relapse, it's, it's possible. It's possible to like bounce back. Yeah. So what you were just saying, um, how it can be shameful. I, 
I feel like any addiction and any like mental illness is like super shameful and, you know, embarrassing or whatever. But I feel like eating disorders kind of get a bad rap because they're kind of rooted in vanity and like wanting to be thin or wanting to be skinny. And it's like really not even about that is what I've realized. Yeah. Um, it's, I've rarely had, sorry to interrupt you, but no, you're I've, fine. Rarely, I've rarely had, um, my experience certainly wasn't around vanity. And I actually don't know that I could identify many, if any, client that has ever come to me because they just wanted to look a certain way, Mm -hmm. right? It is just so mislabeled. Yeah, it really is. And like, I mean, I'm sure it starts that way for some people. I know that um, when when my weirdness with with eating and disordered eating uh, arose it was because I was watching my body change and go through like a uh, womanhood you know and I was just like whoa I don't like this I want to feel small I want to feel comfortable in my body because I didn't feel comfortable but nowadays it's like um, eating disorders are just looked at and you know oh they just want to be skinny that like they're dumb <laughs> or like you know it's uh, it's really it's kind of shitty to look at it that way but um i i just feel like it needs to be spoken about in a different way and that it's not just about vanity it's about control and then what's funny is that people with eating disorders or any addiction in general have low self-worth so regardless if this person looks beautiful on the outside or skinny or has a six pack or whatever their self-worth is so low that it doesn't even matter absolutely Absolutely. Um, so, I think shame is one of the most pervasive commonalities within um, disordered eating. It's just this like um, this real felt sense that some, something is wrong with me, that I'm not good enough, that I'm not worthy, that I'm not deserving. Right. And when somebody comes in and works with you, um, what is your first kind of steps to like unblock that or to help them because they're coming to you for to heal to recover obviously um what's your what's your kind of protocol at first yeah you know it's interesting because i it truly is individual to um with whatever someone walks in with but i think you know first and foremost if, I, if someone was to walk in and say i have a challenging relationship with my body and act upon behaviors that are not healthy I'd say okay let's let's try and work to get um that physiology on board so let's let's see what we can do really holistically see what how how we can provide the nutrients how we can get creative so that we can allow your your mind um those thoughts to also work with the body right Mm -hmm. and then in conjunction okay can we can we layer in an element of mindfulness work I think mindfulness is so crucial in in recovery and uh, of any form uh, of addiction um and then of course challenging those belief systems so um i I think the protocol like if i was to simplify it is is truly trying to see a holistic view of someone so that means like their behaviors what is happening with their body with their gut right how can we explore that more um and, and starting to rewrite the narrative in time. And, and maybe that's small baby steps and someone will, you know, 
go for a while and, and, and work on those and then come back a bit deeper. Right. right. Yeah. So you're, um, you're doing talk therapy, obviously, with them. And is there any other forms of, of therapy that you, that you do with them? Yeah, so nutritional as well. Um, so it's, for me, it was really about combining the forces of the mind-body connection. So I went to school for counseling, also went to school for nutrition. Um, and then piggybacking off of that was um, becoming a teacher of meditation. Um, so I would say those are the three modalities, but I actually think that, um, you know, I love that you're talking about chakras and I haven't touched on this in any podcast, but no, I, dabble, please do. I dabble in that stuff too. Yeah. Um, and I think that as we, as we learn, um, as good practitioners and, and good fellow humans, we're trying to learn more and, and and layer things on and the more we layer things on we think oh you know what I think this could help that person um so I think that there's only more and more possibilities of the way that we look at um health and wellness in how it pertains to everything but especially mental health and recovery because we're just not doing it <laughs> we're just right. not doing it as a whole it's so one-sided I feel like I mean now things are starting to change up a little bit but I love how you're how you use the word holistically um, because obviously with addiction, you know, when you go into a, a detox, it's like you got to get your body clean. You got to get your body safe. You got to same thing with an eating disorder. I'm sure it's like you got to get your body to gain weight or whatever. And I'd love to know how you holistically kind of approach it. Like, are there, are there certain herbs that you recommend to people? Like what's like the most common kind of holistic protocol that you like to offer people? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, great question. Um, and of course, like very individual, but I would say that um, I want to make sure that we're targeting brain health in order to do that. Um, certainly we have to look at, um, how much someone is taking in. And I don't mean this in a counting calorie sense of the way, but really some consistency. Because if someone isn't eating all day and then they only eat, you know, small bit or they only eat, you know, big thing in the morning, but not later, we're actually going to work against the brain. So first step is, is nourishing the brain. And that means with consistency and then looking at nutrients. So I, I think for a lot of individuals with eating disorders, uh, fats are very uh, fearful, and yet they're also the thing that is going to help to support the mind. You know, our brain is made of 65% fats or even more, so we have to get really comfortable with adding in the ingredients that are actually going to help us move through the challenging thoughts. So increasing fats is one thing, um, making sure that we're having enough of, uh, without making it sound complex, all, all the macronutrients so we have to have the carbohydrates and the proteins and the fats um i look at inflammation so um i think that a body that has been stressed out by an eating disorder which is extremely stressful we need to um, look at reestablishing a microbiome so we need to look at the gut bacteria because that could be influencing the brain and then on top of that okay, are there any herbs? There's so many that are powerful modulators of stress. Um, I think of adaptogens like rhodiola or ashwagandha or even maca. Those are all things that could help someone just in resetting that nervous system enough 
that that brings them back to that sort of baseline, right? Mm -hmm. And 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 I think we need to also like address what that baseline is. I love that you said, you know, when you go to detox, it's like, you know, abstinence, clean, right? right. In in recovery, it's like it's weight gain, it's a meal plan. It's like, oh wait, we actually have an opportunity to build, like, I don't want to say the with the best intention. Mm -hmm. Like, how can I actually make my brain work for me? And right. that was like a motivation of mine and something that I try and um, enlist my clients in doing. Yeah, that makes total sense. I mean, because you're kind of hitting the reset button because you're like, okay, let's recalibrate the whole body. And what, um, what I love about your work is that it doesn't, it doesn't feel pushy. It doesn't feel like, you know, you got to recover. Like, cause there's like some, there's some accounts that I follow and it's like, they're, they're shaming people who have eating disorders kind of because, but they're trying to be positive at the same time. It's, I don't know if, if that makes sense. Yeah, it absolutely does. <laughs> and um, it's like, yeah, I don't know. I think there's an interesting, I mean, I think a lot of this work has to do with self-compassion and I think a lot of recovery has to do with self-compassion. And I would say that it's pretty incongruent to be positive about something while saying that there's only one way, right? Mm -hmm. You know, if we're, if we're coming at um, our troublesome thoughts or experiences with a judgment, um, we're going against self-compassion. And so, you know, there's people in my, in my office, varying states of readiness, right? And the most important thing that I want them to know is that I hear them wherever they are at. Because if I try and tell you it is this way, I know that you're going to walk in the other direction. All right, guys, the times we're in right now are very strange and sometimes scary. At first, I was skeptical about online therapy, but I truly enjoyed the whole ritual of going to my therapist's office and creating a routine around it. But now we're in a completely different circumstance, and it doesn't mean we have to put our mental health on hold. If anything, now is the time to uplevel our healing. BetterHelp is an easy-to-use platform of online therapy. I look at therapy as a real way to get an honest second opinion on the issues that I'm facing in my life. It's nice to have a non-biased opinion and get some advice from someone who isn't your friend or family member because, let's face it, we can't always spill our guts to our friends and family. And sometimes the issues that we're going through involve the relationships in our life. So if you're ready to try online counseling, the Vibe Within listeners are going to get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash vibe. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash vibe. So hop on the online therapy train with me along with 800,000 people taking charge of their mental health. The time is now. No more procrastinating our healing. So get 10% off of your first month if you visit betterhelp.com slash vibe. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash vibe. Because, again, that's a safety mechanism uh, of our nervous system. Right. It's the control. It's the, oh, well, if, they're, if this woman's going to tell me 
what to do and I have to do it this way, then the eating disorder is kind of just going to come through and be like, oh, nope. Yeah, it doesn't feel safe. <laughs> yeah. Um, I kind of wanted to pivot into intuitive eating, but before that, um, right now I'm dealing with a lot of autoimmune issues and I, I've talked about it on the podcast several times, but just to kind of let you know is that I was on birth control and then thyroid medication. And I think that I was misdiagnosed when I was like 16. So that really has been something that I've been dealing with. I took myself off of thyroid medications, off birth control, and now I'm, I'm fully holistic and herbal and Ayurvedic, and I'm feeling a lot better. But I also have autoimmune, like I still have auto, autoimmune, and I was just diagnosed with Hashimoto's. And as much as I, when I got the diagnosis, I like, I don't really care. Like I'm not, I got it and I was like, oh, whatever. I already know that I have autoimmune, like it doesn't mean anything to me. And the doctor wanted to put me on uh, thyroxine. And I said, no, I'm okay. Like, I'm feeling better. I'm doing my thing. Thank you for the recommendation. But it has made me feel very, um, certain foods scare me. And certain foods really do make me me react um, very intensely. So it's like, and there's a lot of, yogis that I follow on Instagram who have the same issues. Some of them have Crohn's, some of them have just thyroid issues, and they're very, very strict with their diet. And it's not fun. And I just like would like to know your thoughts on, you know, autoimmune, orthorexia, like, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think when our body is taxed for as long as it has been, um, and we're going against the signals of our body, it's bound to have um, some equal or opposite reaction, right? And so it, it doesn't surprise me. I have some issues with um, autoimmune, and I see this come up a lot, and especially around thyroid, right? Um, so this energy center, right? Like this, this, this part of our body that at one point had to modulate or change to serve or be a survive survive our eating disorders now has to figure out how to handle itself in the real real world and it feels really taxed and stressed um so first of all good on you for um having this empowerment self-empowerment with how you want to walk through your health journey and i think that there's an element that you know again can we infuse that with self-compassion oh yeah you know what this might be part of part of that side of me that that struggles with my body and, and went against some of those cues you know how, how can I relate to this differently and and obviously because you have gone down this holistic road you know that it absolutely is possible to conquer this this autoimmune right? mm -hmm. and there's, there's so many ways to go about it um what I'm hearing is that there's some foods that feel like a potential trigger right mm -hmm. for, for, for lack of a better word and, you know, uh, perhaps a helpful reminder, maybe not, but um, our fears around foods are oftentimes more problematic for our body than actual food itself, right? So we think that there's certain foods that are just going to set us off the rails. And certainly we want to um, explore what that relationship is, mm -hmm. but we also might want to soften that edge and say, oh, like, can I actually allow this in? Does this feel like it's going to do something well for my body? Am I going to be afraid of, you know, kale or broccoli or, you know, whatever those foods might be? Yeah. Um, because there are other benefits 
response to it. Yeah. It's so hard with autoimmune because there are so many foods that they say to stay away from like gluten. I mean, I have no problem staying away from gluten. I feel great that I don't eat gluten, but they also say, you know, limit your sugar and, you know, even fruit or, you know, I've had, I've had really weird reactions to normal foods on plant-based. And sometimes it's like very frustrating to be in the, in the, that space where it's like, man, I just want to eat normal, like whatever that means, you know, you know what I mean? And I get a lot, like, I just, I posted something very vulnerable, I think last week, <laughs> and I usually never do this, but I posted a picture of what it looked like after I had a reaction and my stomach blew up. Like it looked like I was probably six months pregnant. And I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just going to post this because I'm so tired of, of hiding. And this is like how I feel right now. And, and the, the post got like over a hundred comments and it was filled with women who have the same issues. So what would be your advice for women like who are in our position where we just feel so sensitive to everything and what would be your, your way to approach that with one of your clients maybe? Yeah. Um, you know, there, there's a few things that come to my mind. Um, the first, I think you've already taken a step to do in that sharing, and that might look different for other people, but is like there was almost this level of acceptance in that moment for you. It's like, this is actually what I'm feeling. And you shared that with others, and it allowed them to also have acceptance for what they were feeling. And so I think that that's a really important part, because when we try and push away those feelings, which we may have done in the past, um, then it sort of comes as a rebound. So you saying like this this is what i'm experiencing kind of allows us to like soften the edges of our judgment um which brings me to self-compassion um and i think self-compassion is an important part of this like can i can i be with the part of myself that feels frustrated as heck that i cannot eat normally normally mm -hmm. right can can i allow myself to feel frustrated and angry that uh here I am struggling to walk into recovery and now I have to be afraid of foods. Right. That's hard. That's really hard. Um, and I think it's important to remember that this is a moment in time, you know, hopefully if you're in, in the hands of, of someone that, that really cares and supports your healing, you know, this is going to be a short period of time in which those reactions happen. Right? If they continue to happen, then we have to take a better look because your body 100% wants to work for you and not against you. And this just might be part of that trying to work for you. Would there be any specific, um, la like not labs, but I guess if you were to go to like the GI, like if one of your clients, are, they're going to go to the GI and they're going to actually see what's biologically like going on, what would be your go-to like tests to have their GI figure figure out? Yeah, so I mean, I think traditionally people will get scopes and that's pretty invasive, mm -hmm. um, but we can tell a lot, right? We can see what's going on. I think looking at our gut motility is, is really interesting. Um, you know, there's another test that's offered through um, a lot of naturopaths called a GI map. And GI map is one of the most extensive gut screening tests mm -hmm. and i think it's it gives us so so much inf information so beyond 
something that's physical, like a scope, where we actually have to see if something's happening with the body, the GI map can say, you know what, you have this bacteria and it's over, it's like, there's an overgrowth of it, or we don't have enough of this one, or um, you know what, your IgA is, it's increased and that's showing that there's some sort of a reactivity going on in the body. Um, and so I love integrating a little bit of that medicine because I think that, uh, I, I suppose I'm a little bit biased, but the thing that can happen oftentimes with GI doctors is, um, they're just as confused about like what IBS is, what bloating is mm-hmm. because we don't, we don't know how to solve it. Right. Right. So it just kind of gets classified in this lump and, um, and, and that leaves both the practitioner and the patient with like not much else to do other than say like, how's it going to be? Right. Because I mean, I have actually am um, talking with a holistic doctor um, and she's looking at my labs and everything like that, but I'm also wanting to do some stomach testing, but it's really it, it's a turnoff when I hear, oh, you, you want to, you, you have to take these allergy tests and a list of GI tests. And it's like $3,000. And I'm like, listen, what's going to happen if I take those tests, it's going to come back and say, what, what, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know what it would say that would dramatically change my life. Okay. Um, because in ho- homeopathy and herbalism, you're, the, the symptoms are there. So whatever symptoms you have and is what you are kind of treating. And I've been getting more into homeopathy and like doing my own kind of studying on that. Um, have you been, what's your thoughts on homeopathy? Yeah, I love it. I love it all. I think there's, there's a place for it all. And I think our belief in it too, is just as important, right? Our connection with our practitioner and our belief in it is, is where it all lies. Yeah. Um, And I'm wondering too, if, if I may, so you're, you know, there's this idea of wanting to explore um, finding an answer that could potentially have a solution. What, what does your intuition tell you? It sounds like your intuition is telling you that you don't really need to do these tests because you already kind of know. What do you think? Yeah, I already, I already kind of know because I pinpoint down that my gut and my hormones and my endocrine system was severely fucked up from drugs, drinking, partying, birth control, Synthroid when I wasn't, I don't even think that I really was hypothyroidism. I mean, at 17, I don't, I think I was just going through, I think I was just going through something and they wanted to label it as that. And then the years and the years of drugs and, and, and drinking really deteriorated my, my body. But now I've, I, I just turned 30 and I feel better than I ever have. So it's very interesting to me that I just got diagnosed with Hashimoto's because I was telling my mom in the car, I really feel better than I did when I was on that medicine. So I think that um, I'm just trying, I'm learning as much as I can about herbs. And I, I, you know, I've been researching and getting these little pellets and it's interesting. And, you know, anyone who's listening, definitely do your research. Like, um, homeopathy is obviously safe, but you want to know what, uh, remedy you're buying. And, you know, so I've been, I've been dabbling into that and you're right. I, I think I do know, I do know the, the causes and I, I have weird, um, 
eating patterns that probably aren't serving me, but it's, it's rooted out of fear that I'm going to have a reaction and inflammation because when, when I had, you know, when I was living in Philly, um, the cold weather was really, really affecting my body and I was super, super inflamed. And the way that I was eating wasn't, wasn't the way that I was so used to because I've spent so many years in Florida. So I wasn't drinking juices or eating fruits as much and, and raw veggies. And yeah, yeah, I think it all kind of comes down to that, but I, um, it's interesting. Um, when, when we're stressed out about what we're going to eat, um, we're actually shutting off our digestive system, right? So thinking about this vulnerable place that you're in where like, let's say you're considering eating something that is kind of like a no-go or might cause a reaction. There's this, this built-in mechanism, like your brain is giving you a message or a narrative based on past experiences that this could be a problem, right? Mm-hmm. So right there is the same as, you know, the tiger chasing you down the street. It's your body is going into fight or flight. And when it does that, you're in that primitive part of your brain and there's no there's nothing there left for your for your stomach to digest right it is not going to want to work for you because it's got bigger things to worry about and so it kind of adds fuel to the fire because we're not relaxed we're not letting our stomach acid flow and all those enzymes to come in and therefore the bloating gets worse right so it's like the fear is kind of like creating the energetics of like that at at least it's turning up the volume on it right so there might be some reaction there but but having the thought about the reaction is magnifying it much more Mm. how do you go about helping a client move towards more of an intuitive eating lifestyle yeah uh it takes time because they've been so sorry to interrupt you but because they've been so like saying, oh, these foods are bad. These foods are good. I haven't had a cupcake in 10 years. Like I'm never going to have a cupcake ever. Like how do you start to intuitively eat? Yeah, I think again, um, it it really takes patience. So I'm not going to suggest you move into intuitive eating if you are still struggling with behaviors of disordered eating, right? So it takes some time for our body to build up those cues. And so my goal is that hopefully I can get people to move into a space where um, they trust that their body isn't going to do something wacky, right? Mm-hmm. That their body is actually a safe place to be, um, that it's getting nourished regularly. And at that point, we can start to become more embodied. So, you know, talking about like somatic healing and embodiment work. Um, when you're at that point, then we can start to say, what is that feeling about? You know, um, what do, what do, what does that um, feeling need? Like, what is the unmet need? Okay. Is it that I'm hungry? Is it that I'm thirsty? Could I give myself the permission to explore what if, right? Mm -hmm. And I think intuitive eating is, is also a step towards mindfulness, right? So when we turn down the noise of, of life and all of those distractions and instead turn up like that inner wisdom, it will, it'll ring really true. Like we know that there will be like some resonance, um, but but it certainly means having I think the ability to play. So like being being vulnerable and being 
willing to take a chance, um, which not everyone is, is ready to do. Um, being in touch with their body, like a sense of embodiment. And um, oh, there's, so, there's so much more, but um, those are some of the first steps towards. Um, yeah, like just truly connecting to your, to your basic needs. Because for so long, you know, a person's going to, say they don't need to eat or they don't need to drink or they, you know, yeah. Um, I'd like to ask you, I know that, are, I know, you're fine. <laughs> As we're talking about drinking. Um, addiction and in whatever realm can be very lonely and isolating. But personally, especially with my autoimmune and feeling very restricted with my eating and I'm single. I'm very, very single. I'm happy being single, but I'd like to, you know, manifest a partner and, and meet a partner. Um, but a lot of what relationships are rooted in is spending time together and that person's getting to know you and you're going out to eat or you're eating together, like whatever. And it's very triggering for me because I feel like my healing process is very rooted in cleansing and my supplements and this lifestyle and really trying to get my body to like work um could you give us any just advice or um your experience with moving through an eating disorder or mental illness and partnership yeah it's um it's a great question um i don't it's really know hard I, yeah it's i can imagine um i think being in today's climate alone is, is challenging being a single person, let alone moving through you know, mental health or addiction. The um, one thing that I was reminded of when you, when you mentioned this is, I don't know if you've experienced this, but for a lot of people, they experience this, um, this feeling of like lowered stress, like the minute they go on vacation and they're actually like, things weren't quite so bad. Like my behaviors weren't so bad. I actually could enjoy food more. My body felt do you hear that buzzing on my end? Is that? No, I don't okay. hear it. Okay. I just want to make sure you can that. You're good. Um, so yeah, a lot of people feel like um, they have these moments of time where they allow or afford themselves the opportunity to see like what's different for me. Um, and I think dating or being in a partnership we can also try and explore that a little bit. So yes, there's this part of you that is really rooted in the identity of your own healing and your own journey and sticking to that reg regimen. And what if there's this other part of you that, that feels unfulfilled? And what if that part um, that can allow like the permission to have fun and to play mm -hmm. is actually the part that's also really, really healthy, right? So that's what balances out the other part. And so, you know, I wonder if it might be helpful to explore for, for listeners out there, um, that idea of worth. Okay, so I am doing the best that I can. And I'm also going to explore what it would look like to nourish myself in other ways that aren't just, you know, the herbs, the supplements, the, the self-care. Maybe for me, self-care is going on a date and mm. allowing myself the permission to eat something that I wouldn't normally eat and enjoy someone's company. Yeah. Um, and it, it kind of sounds trivial, but I, 
I think um, well, you're a yogi, yes? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of that idea of like, yoga isn't just like the series of movements. It's what happens off of the mat, right? Like, oh, yeah. it's how you move through life. And so maybe the yoga way of moving through life isn't about strict and rigid things, but it's actually about like, that flexibility or right. the breath between. And so I, I think that's something to explore there. Um, and, and I think, you know, as far as being in a partnership with, um, with addiction and, and, and with mental health, um, it's imperative that, that we use our voice for communication, right? So maybe, um, maybe once it feels safe to really open up to that person that these have been struggles, right? vulnerable, but also really could be a moment to connect. Right. right. I think sometimes, again, that shame gets in the way where we're like, I'm not going to tell anyone it, it's not going to feel good and it'll just push someone away. But it actually might do the opposite. It might actually allow someone to connect deeper. Like, shit, I have problems, too. Like, this has been my experience. Um, and, and I think, again, going back to it feeling um, isolating, because I think it is tremendously isolating, tremendously isolating. Yeah. Um, exploring that in a partnership can can also be a really interesting way to support your recovery yeah that that definitely hits with me especially like the what you're saying is basically just be honest and like if they aren't okay with whatever mental illness healing or eating disorder or addiction that you're going through then that's pretty much the universe saying you know yeah. goodbye yeah and if they are okay with it and they you know, they don't judge you. That's like the universe saying, welcome, welcome them in and, you know, take them to the next level because there's some trust there. And I think that's where I went wrong a lot in my relationships in the past is that I hid my depression. I hid my um, drug use. Um, I hid my disordered eating. And when it came out, I tried to like pretend that nothing was wrong and when you try to wear a mask and try to be somebody who you're not that's just like debilitating yeah yeah and, and you um, yourself further from like that authentic self right and I think the older I get I don't know like when I turned 30 I think something just clicked for me and I was like I'm so done being like who I who people think I should be like I'm just gonna start like like if somebody if I meet somebody and I feel the the least the littlest amount like comfortable with them I'm just gonna tell them where I'm at and if they can't meet me where I'm at then it's like all right whatever what's what do you have to lose but with the whole partnership thing it's very it's very challenging especially now that I'm sober because a lot of my past relationships, and we talk about this on the podcast a lot, is that um, as a millennial, drugs and alcohol and narcissism and toxic sex is how a lot, a lot of our connections were built. So now that I have a clear mind and I'm, I don't have these social lubricants, it's like, whoa, that's scary. Yeah, and it's also intimidating, right? Yeah. It's really intimidating when the the other person that you're with is like not doing the drug or not and not having the drink. It's like, it points out what, what might be going on for them. Right. Yeah. So that's another 
another part of just being honest and, 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 and vulnerable is like, oh, I can connect with this person. I can, you know, get a baseline of, of, of where they're at because long-term that's not going to support me if this person isn't in it for the, for the good stuff and the messy stuff. Right. And it's kind of like ripping off the bandaid and if they're okay with that, then it's like, all right, cool. Um, that's really helpful. Um, I wanted, so we're getting close to an hour, but I wanted to ask you, um, your work is amazing and I'm going to put all the information in the show notes. I really, I, I admire everything that you share and I, I just wanted to know if there's one moment in your life that made you want to come up with this course that you have and the, the services and the offerings that you, that you share, like, is there was there a, a moment during treatment or something like that that made you feel like, okay, things need to change? Uh, well, thank you for those kind words. I'm, I'm very grateful. Um, you know, I, I think I think of two things. Uh, I think within my practice and my office, there's, there's so many people that are contacting me for support and I'm only one human and I try to meet them all, but it's really challenging too. And so I wanted to create a way to still impact people and still spread a message and, and support. Um, even if I wasn't able to do that, uh, you know, in, in person, one-on-one, -on -one. um, I've tried to my best to make the course as, as intimate and, and connective as possible, um, to be able to bridge that gap. I, I think the other part is, you know, even going back to when, when I was much younger, there was this um, naivete in me that said, uh, if I can get better, I think anyone can. And I still believe that's true. You know, it's still a bit of a driver in me. And, and certainly I, I, I know I can't heal the world and, and fix everyone. Um, and it's actually people don't, don't need fixing. They just need to find themselves. Mm -hmm. um, but but I think that's, that's been a drive because I know what it was like to not feel supported. I know what it was like to not get help when I felt like I needed it most. And I know that there's a way to work creatively with some of these issues that we just really don't have a lot of answers for, right? Yeah. Um, so I yeah. kind of just want to open those doors. Yeah. The creativity part is, I think, what really captivated me about you. And not not going into it with just the the normal you know you got to do it this way and there's so many different modalities and i think that um you're doing something amazing and i am just so grateful that you had the time to to come on and talk to me and and everybody and what you're doing is really inspiring so we'll link your course and your instagram and if uh, you have anything specifically that you want to share with anyone, um, let us know. Okay. Yeah. Thank and you um, for um, for having me. It honestly, it, oh, it's such a privilege to um, chat with with beautiful souls like yourself and spread that word and your knowledge. And uh, that's how we make change. Yeah. I hope our paths cross at some point because I feel like just a very strong gravitational pull <laughs> towards you and your energy and uh, I feel very safe when I hear you on podcasts and now I just you know I I'm I love what you're doing and I'm very grateful for that so thank you 
All right, guys, I hope that you enjoyed that episode. I know that, you know, these times are rough, but this is the ultimate permission slip from the universe to reach out, seek help, take advantage of, of Zoom meetups and virtual therapy groups. And um, also, if you'd like to, you know, use BetterHelp, uh, that is one of the new sponsors of the podcast. So check it out. I mean, right now is the perfect time to take on a new level of healing and you are worth it. Um, I know that times are tough financially as well. So if that is something that is, is really just not an option for you, BetterHelp does also have um, low income based plans. And there's also in the survey that you have to take when you get in there, uh, it asks you some questions if you're, if you're financially um, struggling because of coronavirus. So take advantage. Uh, I hope that you guys just treat yourselves well and nourish your body, nourish your soul. If this episode struck a chord for you, please share the episode, tag me on Instagram, send it to a friend or a family member. The podcast is thriving because of you guys. Um, I love getting all of your DMs and your emails and I love your feedback. So just keep sharing, keep doing your work, your inner work, your shadow work, and try to have fun during this time of, of uncertainty. I know that it's, it's challenging to have fun in such weird times, but truly do the things that make you happy and feel good. So I will leave you with the rest of this song. It's uh, called Flowers by Kendall Miles, and I will put it in the show notes for you guys. All right, peace.